0: Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy.
1: Hey, my name is Jesse Schoberg. I'm the founder and CEO of Dropin Blog, and I've been living and working remotely since 2008.
0: Awesome. Welcome to the pod. Can you? Tell um, everyone, like maybe a little bit more about Drop in Blog and what inspired you to start your company.
1: Uh, sure. Drop in Blog is a headless blogging platform. Uh, the easiest way to explain it is if you'd like to put a blog on any website that was not built in WordPress, you can usually use us. So that means maybe you're using Thinkific or Shopify or even something like Lead Pages or Card. Our product drops in to those existing platforms and allows you to add a blogging system into them without running a whole WordPress install on a subdomain and managing two themes and that kind of stuff.
0: Awesome! What? That's such a niche and also such a big problem um, as a content marketer um, in the space. What inspired you to start dropping blog?
1: Well, uh, we used to have an agency. And uh, for many years, and it was the agency customers, we were building static sites like way back, actually, before WordPress became kind of the the basis for most uh, web development clients. And we were doing a lot of static sites, and then people started having the demand. They said, oh, but we want to blog. And so then we started putting... WordPress installs on subdomains and all of that stuff. And it it was kind of cumbersome matching the themes and running two systems and this kind of stuff. So we had a lot of these customers that they didn't want to run their whole site on WordPress. They just wanted the blog part. So we thought, wow, it would be really nice if there was just the blog part that you could add to any of these existing sites built in different platforms and this kind of thing. So That was kind of how we got the idea from that demand from our agency clients. And it actually like sat on the back burner for a while. And then eventually we kind of started building it. And even that was kind of like slow to begin with. And we started putting it in on a couple of those clients and they started liking it. But those are mostly static sites. And it wasn't till a bit later that all these builders and this kind of no code revolution started where we fit right into all of those builders and kind of saw the big opportunity there.
0: You said something really interesting there, which was this was, it started off small and wasn't even your first product. Um, I know from kind of previous conversations we've had in the past that you've launched several other products Um, in the past um, while running your agency. What was kind of the shift when you decided that, Hey, this, that drop-in blog was actually, you know, going to be the thing that actually, you know, and you wanted to, go a little bit more all in with it?
1: Well, it started making money. (laughs) I mean, we we had, at the time, I think we had four projects running and they were all making about $2,000 a month each. And we were having trouble even like breaking that ceiling on any of them. We're kind of whittling away at all of them. And I used to have this dream that I was going to have like six SaaS products that all made like 10, 20 grand a month. And then we'd have this very stable, diversified portfolio or whatever, but it was just kind of going really slow and none of them were really picking up and we're having trouble finding market fit. And, you know, maybe part of the argument was they weren't the best products or part of the argument might be that we weren't focused enough on one, you know, it was kind of both, I think, but then eventually drop and blog started to get a little bit more traction. And then kind of at that same time when it it started bumping up in MRR a bit and then we started doing some research on like who are these signups and what's going on and that's where we saw that it was all the builders so it was wasn't the static site owners as much as it was the builders so all of a sudden we started seeing signups from Webflow and Cartra uh, and Duda and all kinds of these builders and then we thought oh wow now we actually have an audience to market to because we can market to the audiences of all of those builders and that's where we kind of saw the light and said oh wow there's actually like a huge audience here that we feel like now we have a way to get to them and that's when it kind of clicked and we then spent about a year like selling our, our other products and kind of winding down the agency and these kind of things. And then using that to kind of runway us a little bit on going hard on drop and blog.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What were some of the like biggest mindset shifts that you had to have going from like leading a team in your agency to suddenly, you know, beating a team for a SaaS product?
1: I feel like the team leading part for me didn't change a lot. We actually brought um, a lot of our team with us um, that was, you know, like our, our developer. So it's uh, I I founded it with uh, two other people and we've founded a few projects together. So we, we had already been working on other things and then our other like lead programmer that was working with us in the agency, we brought her with to work on drop and blog. And also this wasn't really, something that was odd because like they had already been working on drop and blog. Cause we were using the assets from our agency to, we were always like leveraging them to work on our products. So they were always like knowing what these products were about and had helped build them. And so it was just, you know, eventually we just kind of said to the team members that it made sense to, that we were bringing with, we said, Hey, well, actually we're going to wind down the other projects or sell them or whatever. And it's going to be all drop and blog all the time. And so that was kind of the shift that made there. So from a, the management standpoint, it didn't really change that much, except for, I mean now they, they were just more focused on the big picture instead of just churning out the client work as much. So uh, that was like a little bit of a shift for them. But overall, like I felt like there wasn't there wasn't a huge change from from the management side since it was the same people who were kind of working on some of the same projects.
0: Interesting. You mentioned that they were kind of already working in some of the projects on the side um, when they were just were kind of still on the agency. How did you allocate like, you know, resources in terms of your team and um, kind of like just time allocations for how much time was focused when you were running the agency like full-time into the agency versus with drop and block?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the hard part. And this is the thing that I feel like I could have done better that is the opportunity for anybody who is running an agency and wanting to kind of switch into product life is that uh, we were just kind of doing it slow and like very much on the side and we would come up with little like micro projects within the main project that we were, you know, oh, we're going to add a new feature. We're going to do this. And we would do it kind of slow, like, okay, after you're done with all the other agency work and, you know, you want to put in a couple hours on this day, then, you know, work on the thing. And that was actually a mistake because it it made it a lot longer until we were able to make the full transition to working on our products. So, in hindsight, I would say that the the better move would be to actually f- do fixed amounts of time. You know, say Thursdays are work on the product day, and the whole team works on the product on Thursdays, or something like this, um, to create some fixed time that is dedicated to working on the product for everyone in in the team, including leadership, Uh, something, some way to force time on it because we would go months where we wouldn't make any progress on our products when we were trying, you know, get lost in agency hustle. So uh, that would be something that I would change that would make the process go a lot faster of finding a product, making the product good, finding market fit, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Absolutely. Um, when it comes to like your general, like leadership style, would you say it kind of veers more towards async versus synchronous communication? And
1: I, I have a pretty hands-off leadership style. So, uh, we are within the team. We're very, very async, uh, pretty much everyone is all done async. So, you know, we just use like a project management system and it's, it's just, yeah, very async. Sometimes we'll send, uh, you know, video recordings of stuff if we uh, need to get a little bit more in depth, more than like a text or screenshots. And then pretty much, uh, yeah, we do pretty much everything async. And that's just, that's kind of what works for me and my style. I don't want to be babysitting people. And I'm also not personally very good at team culture, I guess. So my culture is that you get to do whatever you want all the time as long as you get the stuff done. So, you know, we don't we don't have Slack. We don't do daily stand-ups. We don't have team retreats. We don't do any of that stuff. We say you do whatever you want all the time if you get your work done. So it's it's a little bit different than a lot of management style, which a lot of people struggle with that with the remote setup is that, you know, they're trying to create this team culture and trying to you know build the sense of belonging and 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 we still do that through the product and and building something beautiful together that people want and love but you know that this kind of fluffy side of the of the work environment is not something that we provide and for some people we find that's great and with ourselves included, but you know, for some people that's not great and it doesn't fit with our team and, and that's okay. You know, so we figure that out along the way and then it, it's just, it's not a good fit for either side because they want more of a, of a, you know, connected kind of chatty sort of uh, work environment with their team members. And uh, you know, we work better with with the the solo cats that That can really get the work done, but that have their own life that doesn't have anything to do with us, you know. So uh, that's kind of how we do it Uh, within our our leadership team. So the three of us, the founders. I mean, we definitely uh, do async. uh, Sorry, we do synchronous uh, with uh, like we have like a chat channel open and we like text chat, and then we do bi-weekly calls uh, to kind of you know, just touch base on what's going on, but that's it. I mean, we're talking about like, we're generally, unless something like comes up and we need to hop on a call quick, we're generally only talking to each other as founders every two weeks outside of text chat. And then the actual project work is all still happening in the same project management system. So we, that we keep it really tight that way.
0: Okay. I have a couple of follow-on questions to what you just said. Um, The first one is, um, I think like what you mentioned about how like you almost don't have a culture, but in a lot of ways, what you're describing is actually in fact, part of the culture and that's going to be a big draw for some people and not a big draw for others. What kind of guidelines or kind of like mental models or like frameworks do you have for like when you need to go hire another developer, or hire somebody on your team? Um, what are those kind of things that you look for to figure out if they are potentially going to be a good fit for the culture you've built?
1: I think uh, when, you know, if I send them a task and they are able to complete it without tons of hand holding, or more importantly, complete it by, you know, asking poignant questions and, and then, then getting it solved versus coming back to me three days later and saying, oh, well, I couldn't figure it out. Like, can we have a call and like work through it versus replying to me immediately and saying, oh, I, I don't understand this particular part. Can you explain that further? And so I I feel like you kind of figure that out pretty quickly. Um, But some of it, it's just, it's hard to, you you can't put this on a job application. You kind of just have to test people out and see how it goes. And when I hire, I usually test people for a little while. And even just one or two tasks can usually get a feel for if it's a fit. Um, Also, I find uh, for our culture, hiring from Eastern Europe is a good fit for us because Eastern Europeans have a little bit more of a culture that fits in with that concept. Uh, so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't hear about the sick dog and the this and that every day. It's just like, here's the work and, and, you know, I have my life and you have yours and we move on. Like, that's more of the culture that we get from hiring people in that area. So we tend to focus on that a little bit as a shortcut. That's uh,
0: super interesting. Um, what are some of the questions that you maybe are asking candidates, um, in addition to doing these kind of test projects?
1: Honestly, I'm not very good at interviewing people. I find that my intuitions of interviewing people, uh, has little um, connection to whether they end up working out for us. So, so if I, when I used to do like regular interviews and then I I think like, Oh yeah, this guy's good. And, and he's going to be a good fit for what we're doing. And then it, it ends up not being a good fit or vice versa. I'll have a video call with someone who like, I think is just, just totally awkward and doesn't work at all with like my personality or something, but then I realized that, that actually has nothing to do with what I'm actually talking about earlier with the culture of our company. So a lot of times, actually, I don't even do, I don't even interview people like live, like I don't do a zoom call. I just say, Hey, here, try that, try this, you know, can you, uh, you know, Oh, you're, you a copyright editor, you know, here, edit these four articles and show me what changes you made. And that's it. And then it's like, Oh, did you do it? Cause that's how, that's how our, our, our work is going to be in our flow is going to be in the future anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think maybe cause I'm not good at it or, or I'm not sure, or maybe I don't know what questions to ask, but yeah, for me, it, I've just found it easier that if you know, we're hiring a new CSS coder or something, I just, I'll hire like three people from the job application and I'll send them all three, the same exact task. And then I'll say like, how many hours did you put in on it and show me the results and then you know you get a bunch of data points very quickly how many days not hours of like actual clock time but like how many days from when i asked them to do the task to when it got completed how long was that how many hours did they clock how much did they charge per hour or whatever and then you know what was the actual output and then you've got these very side by side comparisons you know how was the communication did they find the same issues as each other this kind of stuff and then i use that very kind of pragmatic approach to saying like okay well obviously this guy got it done at a price that makes sense for both of us, and you know, found the tricky part that I knew was in there, and you know, also came up with a new uh, positive idea to add to it uh, that that I thought was good. So then, then I'll hire that person, and
0: that's it. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, going back to what you were saying earlier on about addition kind of the team about you like know, get, getting on calls with your co-founders. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about how you started working with your co-founders?
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, one of my co-founders was uh, my partner in the agency, and we've been working on that forever. And then the other co-founder, who's the technical co-founder, he actually used to program for us at the agency, not like the whole time. But there was a time many years back when uh, we had run into him as an acquaintance, and uh, asked him to do some programming work for us. And then he was actually coding for us, doing some projects for a few years. And then he kind of went off and did his own thing for a while. And then we started moving away from the agency or not even moving away at that point, but just adding the idea of like, let's work on our own products and do that kind of thing. We approached him and said, uh, Hey, do you want to partner with us and you know work on some products? And we kind of already knew what our workflow was like, because we'd been working together in the past on other projects. And that helped us kind of move into the partnership that, you know, eventually grew into many projects that we'd worked on together. And then event, eventually drop and block being the core uh, focus for, for all three of us. So not not the most repeatable uh, uh, thing, but but I do say, you know, look, look into your previous business relationships because... Then you kind of already know what the flow is like. Where if you just randomly partner with somebody who maybe you know that they've done good projects or done good work or they have a good reputation in your circle or something, you have no idea how your flow between the two or three of you is. And so, you know, people that you have worked with in one way or another, I think, is is a good good starting point at least.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, something something really crucial there, which is like making sure that you actually know that your working styles work well together before you, you know, start, you know, thinking about equity and, like, becoming founder, becoming like co-founders. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how you initially, because I know you started your agency with a co-founder as well, can you tell me a little bit more about that dynamic and what made you kind of just start a business as a co-founder, how you kind of approached that at the beginning versus uh, being kind of a solar founder?
1: Yeah, well, um my original co-founder, uh we used to be married, and so that was like a natural uh I guess partnership and so I actually started as a solo founder and then as like my business got more successful, then she kind of came on and started, you know, finding her role and her tasks and, and this kind of stuff. So then uh eventually like, you know, she kind of like honed in her skill set as I honed in mine and we kind of found our our sides of the business. And then as we started moving into products, she kind of started moving more into operations. And I was uh, more in the like visionary uh, kind of role as well as some of the technical side. And it it was kind of a slow organic sort of uh, thing. So again, not super repeatable, (laughs) but uh, yeah, that's, that's how it happened.
0: Got it. Um, and kind of fast forwarding to today with drop and blog, um, when you say you have kind of the three with three, you know, you and two co-founders, um, what is kind of that dynamic in terms of like, you know, setting the product roadmap and thinking through the team and thinking through kind of the vision of the company? Like how, how do you guys like make sure that you guys are all aligned?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we've been working together long enough that we all sort of have our roles, uh, as I kind of mentioned, uh, uh, Jason, being the the technical co-founder, he he kind of you know leads up the tech stack and and this kind of stuff, and and I have enough technical background that that I can weigh in on those things, uh, so that that kind of uh, works out well. And then, you know, Laura kind of does the main um, operations side where where she's a little bit more hands-on with the team uh, than the other two of us, and. Then, yeah, I kind of focus on the main vision and the top level stuff and the where are we going and what, what are we working on and what kind of partnerships are we doing and uh, also kind of more marketing and, and, you know, I'm also kind of the face a little bit more. So, you know, I do things like this and that's kind of how that works out. But when it comes to like hiring and dynamic and that kind of stuff, like I said, we do these kind of biweekly calls where we're kind of checking in on that stuff and trying to figure it out. So we're always kind of running by each other you know, different things. So, but for example, you know, Jason running the tech side, he'll say, you know, Oh, we, we want to hire like a JavaScript person to work on this or something. And then, you know, we'll kind of, he'll kind of bounce that off of us, but then, you know, when, when all that kind of actually comes through, then, you know, he would be the one managing the the technical person and, and this kind of stuff. So uh, we're, we're always kind of just bouncing the ideas sort of off each other, but I guess we've been doing it long enough that we all kind of know where, where we fit in and, and where our strengths are. And we all kind of try to lean on each other's strengths. And luckily we just have a pretty good dynamic where we're all kind of working, uh, I guess like on the things that we, we know that, that we fit in well in the org. And so, uh, yeah, but when it comes to the vision, I mean, it's, it's, I'm usually kind of trying to guide the ship and, and kind of do the high level stuff and kind of figure out, you know, where, where's our, Where's our like three year, like 10 X like opportunities and how can we kind of get toward that and this kind of thing. Uh, so we, we all kind of have our, have our, our role and it, and it sort of works itself out. And, but we communicate a lot and just try to make sure that we're always on the same page with any uh, kind of
0: big decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure that dynamic has probably definitely evolved from going from an agency, predominantly an agency to a SaaS product. Um, like what you have with Drop and Blog, did you kind of find that like, and obviously you can't speak for your co-founders here, but um, were there any sort of like, you know, what were some like, what were some of like the most surprising aspects or most surprising like shifts that kind of like happened within that dynamic it, or as like when it comes to like what you're, when it comes to what you're building a Drop and Blog?
1: I think the main thing is that we're all a whole lot happier. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, when you're not dealing with clients problems every day, it's, there's just a general more positive vibe in the air. And so that, that I think helped us all kind of jive together a little better and, and, and find our, our spaces. And uh, also we had kind of more opportunities, it seems like with drop and blog. So we were able to kind of dig in on some new categories of, of marketing and, you know, for focusing on conversion and, just different things like that. So, uh, yeah, if anything, I'd just say that there was a bit of a weight lifted off when none of us were doing client work anymore and we were able to just kind of focus on the one thing and, and kind of also like smarter, not harder. Like we're able to kind of zoom out a little bit easier and, and see big picture stuff and, and work on more fun parts of the, the project and this kind of thing versus just grinding out this client work that, is always seems to be a fire burning somewhere that is not great for morale.
0: Yeah. That totally makes sense. When did, if you don't mind me asking, when did you know it was the right time to let go of the client work and focus 100% of the time on just this one product versus trying to make some of the other products work or still do client work?
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there was actually a, a tipping point and it was uh in April of 2019, uh, we were actually doing a co-working month in Bali and we had gotten a villa there and we we like to do these kind of co-working months when we can. And uh, we were just kind of working together and we saw that there was this uptick, as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, where all of a sudden we saw some MRR uptick in Drop and Blog and we were just kind of looking through the data to kind of see like, okay, where, where are these guys coming from and what's going on? And then As I mentioned, that's where we saw that they were coming from these builders. And then we looked into the audiences of all these builders, and we looked at how many builders we could be compatible with. And all of a sudden, the numbers just got big. And we were like, okay, this is definitely the big one. We see a huge opportunity here. So we need to make this happen. So it was was at that point when we decided that this is going to be the thing. We didn't just drop everything overnight. It took time. Um, but we kind of slowly started putting in the puzzle pieces of how we were going to exit the agency. Uh, We actually did look to sell the agency to a couple people. We worked on a couple of deals with that that didn't end up working out. But our other products, um, we did sell the other three products, um, which was nice. It gave us a bit of runway and we didn't really have a concern selling them once we saw how much potential was here. And we knew that it would be better to have the runway and to really sink our teeth in on, on the new product and focus there. So that's how it happened.
0: Very cool. Um, what was the process like for selling some of the smaller products that you built?
1: Yeah. So, um, two of them were, were kind of connected, so Um, one of them, it was like a a lead gen, uh, directory for a particular niche and, uh, and a related product in that niche. And, And we ended up, uh, actually selling it to one of our listings that was getting leads from us so that they could actually have the vertical. So that was kind of a good, uh, fit there. So then they were able to get their own leads through the, the, the Legion and then they bought the related product as well. So they kind of just building this family of products that fit in with what they already had. So that's how we sold those two. And then the other product was a small SaaS product uh, that we just listed on the marketplace through Empire Flippers and sold it in about a week. So that was just a quick, like uh, you know, it was is at a price point that a lot of people that aren't huge yet it would be like a good entry point for people so uh, that was uh that was a, a an easy one on that side so that's how we got out of those
0: things interesting and like do you think any of your like potential any of like your past experience where you were maybe like the fact that you weren't totally focused on one product and you were split between like client work and multiple products like some of those lessons kind of were one of the reasons that you were maybe a motivator for you to sell some of these smaller products that maybe, you know, didn't quite have product market fit yet. And you couldn't figure out how to get it to a more scalable place.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think that there's, it's tricky, right? There's a, there's a lot to be said for being, having diversity in your income streams and being more stable in the fact that, you know, we see this all the time, some technology shift and then, you know, product goes from making whatever to making nothing basically, because there's an update in Google or Amazon or whatever platform you're sourcing all your leads from or whatever. So I, I was always kind of like afraid of that kind of scenario, which is why I was always like trying to run multiple things. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's obviously a lot easier now that I'm just focusing on one thing and I can really put my head into it, uh, whether, whether or not that's always the most efficient way. Like, I don't know. I think like the fact that we were doing multiple products allowed me to, if I would have just all in on the wrong one or just gone with the first idea, I might've never gotten anywhere. So I, I don't really, I don't really know what the best answer is there or how to, how to do it. I just, I just know that like, once we did find the one that we knew was the one, it was very obvious, but, um, you know, it was kind of a hard road to get there. So, I'm not quite sure what the best, best way to repeat that is.
0: Yeah. I don't even know if there is necessarily a way to repeat that. And kind of the other kind of mentioned that you mentioned before is like when you going back to April of 2019, when you had made that decision, at least like put in the building box, Hey, we're going instruction. Um, You'd mentioned at that point, you'd kind of done like a leadership team retreat. How often do you do those? Do you kind of have like a process or like, you know, a general timeframe of how often you want to, meet with your two co-founders um, in person and, or is it just more informal and, you know, what does that look like? And yeah.
1: I mean, it's kind of informal. I mean, we just, it just kind of depends on our schedules and, and two of us live as full-time nomads and then uh, Jason uh, lives in the States. So it, it kind of just depends on, you know, what the schedules are and, and it's not always all of us. Like actually that in, when it was in Bali, uh, Jason wasn't there for that when that happened and it was just kind of how it worked out. And then, uh, but like recently uh, we did a month in Mexico. We also did a month in Medellin and uh, Jason came for both of those. So it just kind of depends on how life works out sort of. So we're not, we're not, we don't have some specific schedule or whatever. It's just kind of, kind of how it fits when, it when it works for everyone. But then, yeah, we try to do like, we rent a big place for a month and then uh, you know, we don't have some special schedule or anything. It's more just, you know, having that natural face time. And a lot of it comes from, it's, it's because we're so efficient at our kind of async, the way that we run the actual work of our company, it being in the face-to-face, is, it, doesn't, it doesn't really do anything regarding the actual output of the work itself, because we already kind of have our systems in place so well. But what it does do is give us that outside time, you know, it's that coffee time in the morning on the balcony, chatting about the bigger ideas and the vision and the, you know, walking around Mexico City and getting some flautas and and kind of talking about, yeah, it's the bigger things that just sort of come up in these casual conversations, kind of like at conferences, right? Where a lot of the magic happens not in the main thing. So it's, it's the same deal when we're all saddled up at the, at the the table and, and doing the work that that's not really much different than when we're not together, but it's all those extra little times that we end up having that kind of uh, where where the, the magic happens. It feels like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of you're almost like, almost like when you do have these more informal co-founder retreats, it's you're cultivating some of that being able to kind of step away from all of the day-to-day stuff and giving you space to kind of like almost get like, I I don't necessarily have enough inspiration is the right word, but you're able to kind of, you know, like kind of put yourself in a different headspace than when you're elsewhere. Yeah, I think it's the
1: headspace thing. Yeah. When you... You know, you, you you go outside, you go have a couple of beers, you go on the plaza, you just put yourself in a more relaxed environment, I guess. And and that's where the ideas come, and that's where the yeah, the the bigger talks of the the where are we going and what are we doing and how are we solving this problem? And some some of that happens a little bit more natural in those scenarios. And it does also, you know, build some camaraderie amongst the three of us and continuing to like keep us all in the same in the same page and the same ship of where the, the company's going and making sure that we're not missing something about that, uh, the, the greater direction of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how being a nomad and having been a nomad for so long has like kind of impacted just the way that you've structured the company and stru- kind of structured your own workday and stuff like that. Like maybe tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Well, when, uh, when I was living in the states and and had was running the agency, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to at least move from the city that I was in at the time, and so uh, I did kind of transition from the like face to face client stuff. I spent like a year just kind of like training my clients to, you know, do things over email and and this kind of stuff, and so that I, I was able to kind of remove myself from this localized environment, and you know, once that happened, it was kind of easy to. To move forward. So I actually, when I first uh, left the States, I didn't tell any of my clients that I had left uh, for like a year. And so it was like, I spent the first year kind of just like training them to not have face-to-face meetings. And then, uh, and then w- when I left the country, I just, you know, had the u.s phone line was still running and and you know coming through the internet and doing a voip line and and uh you know obviously everything else is kind of the same right so uh i yeah and then when i would bring this up later that that yeah i was living overseas uh then it was like whoa what you know but then they they can't if i would have told them ahead of time they might have freaked out especially then this is 2008 um there would have been some pushback maybe. But then after I told them a year in, they were like, oh, I didn't even notice. And it's like, yeah, exactly. So that kind of created some uh, expectations there that they were, didn't know that they had to worry about. So uh, yeah, that was kind of like how I transitioned them. And then, you know, for myself, it's just, you know, not being in an office or something, you you just, uh, you have to, create your own schedule and, and, you know, figure out how to get the work done. And for me, I have a pretty, uh, organic approach to work. And I, I tend to, sometimes I'll put in like crazy days or weeks where I'm like really deep into some task or something. And then sometimes I'll have some lazy days or weeks where I, I can't quite get the focus. And I learned personally that I need to really like get it done when I, when I have the, the flow, the, the, and that flow can last for quite a while, and then it can go away. So I kind of got to lean into that when it shows up, versus doing some very rigid schedule that uh, doesn't doesn't really work for me. But that's something that everyone has to find for themselves. So working at home and working remotely and working in other countries, you you got you got to kind of just figure out what works for you and try different things. And at the end of the day, it's about that output, right? So you gotta you gotta get it done one way or another. But uh, yeah, f- testing different things to figure out what works best for you, I think is what I've
0: seen works best. Yeah, very um, very interesting. Um, before we wrap up, I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about?
1: Oh, that's a good one. If I had to write a book tomorrow, what would I write about? Does the book have to be... Like profitable?
0: <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I would probably write a book about, uh, I think I would write a book about experiences living abroad. Just, uh, you know, I've, I've lived in quite a few countries. I've visited quite a few more than that. And, you know, the world is a very interesting place. And I think that there could be uh, something special about comparing cultures and you know, something that's very normal in one place is completely absurd in another place. And it, it helps give you a lot of perspective. And I think that there might be some cool stories along the way that could make an interesting book.
0: Do you have an example of like one of the unique experiences you've had being kind of a long-term nomad? Um, and maybe that's directly tied to something within Drop and Blog today?
1: Oh, boy, a unique experience. I think that it, it really, it's about the connections. Uh, something that is different as a nomad or an expat is you have this different level of access than you'd get in your home country. Because in your home country, everyone's just kind of doing the same thing. And there's all this like status stuff going on. And it's a lot different. Uh, when you The minute that you go abroad and you connect with the other foreigners who are there, there's this kind of instant camaraderie. There's this huge filter of that, you know, you had the mental space to go outside of your home birth country and live in a place where they don't necessarily speak your language and they don't have the same food or maybe the same religion that you grew up with or whatever. And then there's this kind of instant camaraderie amongst all of the expats and foreigners and nomads there. And I find that really cool in a way that, yeah, you have this kind of instant direct access to people, bunch of people that are doing really interesting things. Usually most of those people are, you know, they're the ones who like own the businesses that, uh, or do own businesses and are doing interesting things there. So you kind of had this quick access uh, to the top in those places. I mean, just uh, recently uh, I was in uh, Puerto Vallarta in Mexico and uh, I had a contact through one of our suppliers actually uh or sorry one of our our partners i guess with drop and blog the one of the platforms that we work with and you know we met up and and we had a few beers on the beach and then you know a couple of his friends show up and yeah they they own a couple of the restaurants around and then they have some event going on and you know that's like all of a sudden you're just kind of plugged into this interesting network of people that i just feel like in the if i just like go to. Chicago for the weekend that there's just like no access to that kind of new world and somehow being an expat or a nomad, you, you can fall into that access kind of everywhere. And it's, it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I've definitely observed and kind of seen the same exact thing with even just within my circles as well. Um, so that's a really, really great point, uh, shifting gears. Um, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, um, who would you choose?
1: These are tough questions, Jessica. I didn't get any of these. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Historical figure that I get to have coffee with. I think I, I think I want to have coffee with one of the explorers that, uh, that actually discovered a new place, not a new place that was, uh, you know, had other people that uh, got, got invaded and taken over, but the, the, the explorers who were, were finding actually fresh places and, and had all of the challenges of those times to deal with. So I don't have a name, but there was many of them and, uh, to, you know, we have so much stuff now with Google maps and, and, uh, all this tech. So, so hearing, hearing how they kind of managed through those, those explorations, I think would be interesting.
0: Awesome answer. Um, and before we wrap up, where can my listeners uh, find you online?
1: Uh, the best thing is probably Twitter. So you can find me at my full name, Jesse Schoberg, at Twitter. And yeah, I'm pretty active there and, and kind of hang out. That's probably the best uh, place online. Or of course, you can check out the product drop in blog, that's dropinblog.com, and see what we're up to there.
0: Thanks so much, Jesse.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Jessica.
0: Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.